Hey everybody, this is Adam. I just wanted to warn you that the audio quality in this one is not quite up to Quack 12 standards. It's still very much listenable, but for some reason, first my mic, then Hith's mic had some technical difficulties. We expect Husky's espionage, sabotage kind of deal. We'll look into that. Anyways, here's the show. everybody oh my gosh we got the cow game coming up and yeah this cow hasn't looked great you know uh yeah this cow lost to colorado and they'll probably be the only team that lost to colorado just like they were the only team that lost to arizona the year before but you can never count out these golden bears hithliday of addicted to quack uh writer of the wonderful duck dive articles hithliday how are you doing uh, I'm great. I, I hope you give Rob a warmer welcome. <laughs> well, that was my welcome. I said it. So, uh, hey, Rob, how's it going? Right for Cal's Rob is on the podcast once again. I that's probably the greatest intro someone has given me of all time. <laughs> like I, at this point, if I ever if 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 my wedding if I ever get married at a certain point, Adam's gonna be like hey. the the guy at the front with like the and in the blue corner he's gonna do that whole gladly hate man for your wedding yeah exactly i will gladly and i'll officiate it i know you didn't ask me but <laughs> i accept uh golden bear cast is a wonderful podcast at right for cal these are things you should be checking out duck fans especially heading into this game um rob i mean i know it's it's a lot to answer in one question but how are you feeling about this season and this team in 2022 it's definitely had its ups and downs um i think myself and uh, i think i could speak for jesse who writes for cal rivals like what we saw at fall camp and what we got excited about we have not seen on the field at all except for probably the arizona game Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's at least been... you got that revenge though. That uh, yeah, must have felt uh, yeah, good. yeah. That was Colorado's that... gonna get it. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I was. I got. I got like dragged by Arizona <laughs> fans on their website when I like predicted that we were gonna win by like forty-five to like twenty something, <laughs> and that's exactly what the score ended up being. Awesome. And it was great going back and reading the comments of people just saying, "Look, maybe he was right. Maybe." Uh, maybe he wasn't just talking out of his ass. Uh, so just the vindication of that moment was great. Mm -hmm. But uh, outside of that, the rest of the season has not been very vindicating. Yeah, I, I imagine. Um, Hithley, will you help us walk through this roster a little bit? All right, Rob, I, I got a thought experiment for you. Uh, actually, two thought experiments. You ready? Is your mind limber? Uh, can I uh, before before you start asking questions, can I just read I I tweeted this out to you guys but hmm. uh day put out like a, a a tweet about like cal would probably have a better defense if dc sermon aligned his players to defend trips to the boundary before or after timeout and then he like had the clip up one of our writers saw that put it in our discord channel and his <laughs> reply reply which perfectly encapsulates how i feel right now is time for hithliday to rip us apart 
<laughs> and I, it's, it just it it's just so poetically written and i laughed and i knew this was coming up too and i was like i have to save this message and tell these guys in person when we do record this pod uh i appreciate that um it's the team's that. actions he's ripping apart it's the coach's <laughs> strategies not not you my my friend we love the cal golden bears yeah I, I i kind of like being the boogeyman of strawberry canyon though like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you ready for to consider some counterfactuals, Rob? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, thought experiment number one. Um, so, uh, in F+, the, the advanced statistical system, they, they generate their stats in a pretty similar mm -hmm. way to how I generate mine. Um, Cal's offense ranks number 101 out of 131. Uh, now, let us uh, take Cal's offense, and it's the same uh, skill players, Um it's the, uh, you, you still got to deal with Musgrave. You still got to deal with Jack Plummer. But in like a Freaky Friday kind of situation, Oregon's offensive line wakes up in Berkeley and they got to play for the Bears. Uh, can I assume that you think that that might be an improvement to Cal's offense? I think so. I haven't done a deep dive enough like to to the Oregon like offensive scheme where I, someone's actually asked me that question uh, this past week too. And I don't know if I don't I I honestly can't tell you if it's a one one to one like swap because well, I don't know well, what, well, what for, forget Oregon's line. offensive line just just substitute in just as a thought experiment just substitute in whatever the best offensive line you can think of for this system yeah I mean if that's the case yeah I, I yeah um wait where are we going with this question <laughs> how much of an improvement do you think that that I would, think it'd in, be an F plus like how many oh. ranks do you think they would jump if that happened Ooh, that's a very good question um I'd probably say it puts us at least in the top 50, top top 40, if not. I agree. Um, I, I totally agree that this would be a top 40 offense um, with a function, with a high quality offense. Yeah. Um, okay. Thought experiment number two, before we consider the implications, uh, let's do the second thought experiment. Uh, still the same uh, skill players. Um, unfortunately, uh, Oregon's offensive line goes back home. Uh, you're you're <laughs> stuck with the actual Cal offensive line, but... Okay. The Freaky Friday situation happens to Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. Oh, uh, I, I would I would suspect it would rise, but not by much. Like you said, we're 101. Yeah. Maybe put it in like the top 75. Yeah, I agree with both of those assessments. I think with a uh, like I think for all the heat that Musgrave is getting. Uh, and he deserves some, like it's kind of an antiquated offense, but it's not like a garbage offense. Like, and, and Plummer deserves some heat too, but like, I don't think he's a garbage quarterback. And in fact, I think he works pretty well with, for what Musgrave wants him to do, which is hit deep play action passes. He yep. actually has a pretty smooth throwing motion and delivers a fairly accurate catchable ball. Um, and that the problem in my opinion is, is more that just the offensive line is just, I probably the worst in the pack 12 and is just, and that this offense is like even more devastated than most would be yeah. by having a poor offensive line. Is that, do you see it the same way? Yeah. I think, I mean, the more you watch this offense, the more you realize it's predicated on good offensive line play because they're, I would argue that they're probably asked to do the most um, in terms of mm -hmm. like what they're, what they're being asked to do via the play calls. So you know they're they're doing run they're doing pass they're doing rpos and just like just the the mental management of having all of those men uh, plays in the menu for that week so yeah I, I, 
the the offensive line definitely is how this offense goes. Like I think the Arizona game was is the 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 best like best scenario if the offensive line and everyone is firing on all cylinders. That's what this offense is supposed to look like. Um, and then of course, granted, like some of the I don't think there's an issue with the playbook itself. It's there's a couple of issues with the play calling in certain mm-hmm. situations that you're just it's mind boggling. Like like uh, for example, at the end of the Colorado game when they're on the goal line down three with like a minute left and you know, I just like the play calling in that situation should have come away with a touchdown. They should have just run Ott four times, gotten a touchdown, gone home. But yeah, you know, that's not what happened. And like, yeah, I, I do think on a tactical level, there are some some play calling like uh ohs um, that are. Yeah. Musgrave deserves some criticism for that, too. Yeah. I mean, you could look at we'll talk about it. But I'm sure we'll talk about it. But the UW game two, that final drive or the final mm-hmm. two drives, really, you know, they they were basically going prevent defense not not giving us anything over the top so we were actually our short passing game and our over the middle passes were pretty efficient but then all of a sudden that final two drives we decide to keep with two timeouts left too we just decide to keep throwing outside to the boundaries and they we didn't have much space to work with there because they knew that we were going to throw the boundaries to save Mm -hmm. clock um so yeah it's just there's some really weird questionable uh, play calls as as the game progresses but do you do you agree with the the notion that like set aside the sort of the tactical you know moment to moment play calling decisions like the 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 other thing that i've heard about musgrave from a lot of cal fans is like this guy's system is antiquated and awful and no way could it work under any circumstances i i don't find myself agreeing with that i think that this offense would be fine um you know, like maybe not the, the, the absolute, you know, best in the universe, but like, I I think they'd be moving the ball fairly effectively, you know, if, you know, and, and more to the point, because I really like this collection of skill players. And I think the plumber is a good fit for it. Um, Do what do you think about that take? Yeah. I think, you know, once again, if you, if you watch this offense enough and you look back at, you know, some of his pro stops too, once again, it's it's predicated on offensive line play. Um, I think the the reason a lot of fans have soured on it and say it's antiquated or won't work well here is because they're already working under the premise that we don't have the offensive line to be yeah. able to execute this offense to its best efficiency. And I think that's I think that's the right take to have. Well, I, I mean, this is sort of getting long term, and, and maybe we'll put that off to the summer. But like. I don't think there's quick fixes like the idea that you fire Musgrave and bring in the offensive coordinator who whose offense does work with the lousy offensive line is like, I don't know who that is. Like, I I don't I don't think such a thing exists. I think this one, you know, this one is worse, you know, than than others because of that situation. But the idea that's like, oh, there's an offense that exists that just it uh, makes the offensive line not matter. Like everybody would just be running that offense and and offensive linemen would not be you know, recruits that anybody cared about. Obviously, the, those things aren't true. So, yeah, you know, it goes hand in hand with, I think, a lot of a lot of the fans that at least tweeted at me or, or I've talked to and some of the writers. I think most of us would probably say we're I mean, we're bound to make a move this offseason, but it'll probably be both him and our offensive line coach, Ingus McClure, who 
hasn't really developed anyone nor mm-hmm. has he really brought in anyone which is what we kind of expected because of his recruiting um yeah. history at ucla especially on the offensive line but that hasn't paid out so like the, that goes in tandem i don't think the, the the blame doesn't go fully on musgrave um but there are other factors that added to it but once again if he is the offensive coordinator then i don't know where we were putting our resources um and like understanding like where we needed to shore up the talent the most uh i mean yeah i mean these are i don't know man i mean cal literally poured all of its money into a hole in the ground like i don't think they're going to be able to move on from wilcox even though like you know or even make like you know a splashy offensive coordinator higher um like i i sort of think that they're trapped and and furthermore that like even if even if all the coaching level stuff is fixed tomorrow, like you, you got to build offensive lines organically, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, it's going to be years like, and that's like, sorry. I mean, Rob, I, I promise we didn't invite you on this podcast to torture you, but like, <laughs> you know, when I, when I read a lot of Cal fans, you know, commentary and, and some of the the stuff that I see in the comment section of right for Cal, uh, which is a great blog. I, everybody should read it. I, I enjoy it immensely. Um, and they're smart fans, uh, who say smart things on like a lot of fan bases. Um, you know, what I keep seeing is like, I, I'm mad at Musgrave fire him and that'll fix everything. And I'm like, no, like it's going to be a while. Yeah, I so I mean my take my take on the situation right now is the buyout situation for Wilcox just doesn't make sense. I'm still a believer that Wilcox could turn this around. My my co-host for the for the Golden Bearcast, Andy, you know, he's he has a bit of like sales background and he's like approaching this from a business standpoint. It's like, look, it it makes more sense financially for us with the financial constraints that we have to fix the offense over the next few years than it does to sack the head coach put us in a 20 something million dollar hole and like have to rebuild the entire culture all over again. Um, and I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think uh, there's no quick fix here, uh, but with the, with the extension that we gave Wilcox last off season, we know he's, he's going to be here at least for the next three years um, just because of the buyout clause and, and how much, how much that is like, even if he sucks and this, this team sucks for the next three years, like it's, it's just financially it's not going to work unless we unless we tank you know ticket revenues um and that that totally like changes Mm -hmm. the the conception and and the the thought process behind some of the high donors but if that stays all the same i think you you have the money to work with um you know we were doing some of i mean we were already planning you know like an offensive coordinator big board and talking to the writers about who they would possibly want what type of system they would want to run here and we were looking at um you know, Andy, my, my co-host Andy, his pipe dream hire would be Joe Brady. And we were looking at how much he mm. makes. I think he makes something above, uh, like close to like, I think 500K or 600K at as the quarterback's coach for the Bills. Whereas we pay Musgrave about 900 something, um, close to a million. So financially, like the money is there to be able to bring in a guy, especially because we don't have to really fire Musgrave. His contract ends in January of 2023. Um, so yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with that. If they're going to go back to the donor base and look and just ask them for a little bit more money to make a splashy offensive coordinator, hire, which I think is a very possible thing that could happen, especially with his relationship with some of the higher donors. It's, it's still very, very good. Um, considering, you know, we've won the ax twice and, 
and mm. beaten some random opponents that you know we did they didn't think we were going to beat uh and so yeah and even sc sc twice over the last you know four years so uh, he has he has very good will built up and i think they might leverage that into to a little bit more money of of hiring a, a better offensive I mean, staff lawrence livermore maintains the nation's nuclear arsenal blackmail is always an option <laughs> yeah yeah um I didn't hear much pushback to my suggestion that Jack Plummer is not a bad quarterback and a decent fit to uh, this offense. Uh, can I assume that you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, people are asking for the backup and, you know, our answer always is like there's an infatuation, the backup. There's a reason he's the backup. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't think any you could put, you could put Tom Brady or Peyton Manning back there. And with the amount of time they get in the pocket to pass, I don't think any of them are going to look good well i mean yeah like given the reality of this offensive line it'd be nice if he were more of a scrambler um in fact actually at notre dame he he was actually a fairly effective one but in like i haven't seen that since you know well like... he yeah i mean if you if you if you watch carefully he has a brace on his right oh. knee um which he he got he got nicked up during the washington state game went to the tent and then came back out, played, but you could see like there was like bleeding around his knee, like just Ugh. on the on just on the the compression thing he was wearing. And we were like, this game's out of hand. Why is he even on the field? Oh man, that sucks. Um, and then the following week when we played, or it was the bye week, and then mm -hmm. when we played Colorado, he uh, he had the knee on the uh, he had the brace on the knee, or that like that leg. You know, it's like one of those yeah. like big ones, right? That covers the knee. Uh, and then he said in the presser, he was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's I'm working through it. And Musgrave was talking about how he just like. He's a, it wasn't word for word like he was a fighter, but that's kind of the nuance he gave. Mm -hmm. um, he's like fighting through it. Um, and Plummer well, I said don't, it was getting better. So I, I don't really detect much of a difference in like, okay, so now I'm looking at my numbers from, okay, I see that point in the Washington State game. Let me. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue Like his here, throwing numbers, his, it doesn't seem like it affected his throwing motion, but he definitely seems like even less escapable in the pocket, which given this offensive line situation is like, yeah, could be a problem. Yeah, I'd say that uh, there's a couple throws if you if you really watch him that he can't he he. So earlier in the season, you saw him launch off his back foot, which you kind of want mm -hmm. this one there there. I don't know if it's mental because of like, you know, just the just the way the season's gone. Um, but there's a lot of throws where it doesn't seem like he's putting his weight on his back leg um, before he takes the throw. And then also, like, his he has he's pretty shifty in the pocket. He slides pretty well from pressure. Mm -hmm. um, but just he just doesn't have the little tiny motions that we saw earlier in the year. I don't know if that's because it's like a mental thing of how much he's been hit um, due to offensive the offensive line just bleeding yeah. pressure or if it's the actual injury it's Steve that Montez sustained. syndrome where yeah. like if your offensive line is bad enough for long enough that you start imagining pressure before it's there yeah it's like the yips right for, mm -hmm. for football quarterbacks yeah so I don't know which one it is and I don't think we'll ever know um, but you just you do notice that a little bit which doesn't really help in right now but you don't think there's any chance that Kai Milner comes in for this game, do you? I mean, we talked to uh, we talked to Musgrave last week, and uh, and he they were asking about Jack's you know health, and they were asking what is there a possibility we could see Kai, and he's like, yeah, there's definitely a possibility. I don't think there's much. I personally, I had to go and rewatch that presser a couple times because people were like, oh man, does that mean like Jack's getting benched? But I read it more as our starting quarterback's not like healthy. We're going to be monitoring his health. If he's mm -hmm. not 
healthy enough to go, then of course we'll see the backup. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the I mean, if they were scored enough change, last week. Yeah, if they were to make a change due to his health, it would have been Washington game, and they didn't. Yeah, I think the only time you'll actually see maybe Kai come in is when we're mathematically out of bowl contention. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to still fight for bowl contention, and why not? Why would you not? Um, so the yeah, the moment we're out of that, I think it's a uh, throw Kai in and see if he can get some game experience to you know kind of to press into next season with this group of skill players. Hopefully they all stay. Hey, podcast listener. Hey, come you. over here. Come yeah. over here. Get over here. Yeah. Huh? Nice headphones you got in here. Oh, yeah, I like those, Chevy. Be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones, eh? <laughs> Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account. And gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. And hey, look at that. I hear you listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that yeah. what he's doing there, bud? <laughs> yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash! Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the Quack 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, Quack 12, give us five stars. Yeah, the internet, you got it, bud. Five stars. Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then, uh, you know, uh, oh, hey, hey, look at, look at this podcast listen on their long inner, inner uh, continental flight. Making things not so bad. Not wanting to hear that baby wah, by covering wah. it up. Wah, wah, so they say. Putting on them headphones. Trying to get the sky waitress's attention. Get over here. Give me more of that Quack 12 podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why don't you? Yeah, you want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? Yeah. You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be part of the rock and roller club at the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars, that's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, let him, let him go, Mikey, let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. 
Ayo! Quack, quack. Okay, Rob, let's talk about the running backs. Um, Jade Knott has been a, a pleasant surprise. The true freshman four-star came in and sort of took over the room. Um, you noted against Arizona, you know, he had a bunch of big runs, uh, but otherwise he's been a pretty solid, you know, it's, it's not just the breakaway speed. He's been a, a solid every down back for him, which is a little surprising because he, he kind of like looks a little skinny on film. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He definitely hasn't filled out, uh, his, into his pads yet. Well, it's interesting because Cal had this running back room that was just filled with like four different bruisers for the last couple of years. And, you know, one of them left uh, to BYU of all places and, and Oregon wound up playing them regardless. Um, you know, but they brought back uh, Damian Moore and Chris Street and DeCarlos Brooks. Um, but we really like, it's really just been uh, Ott and then uh, Brooks um, as sort of some relief. And then I think a couple of Damian Moore runs in like short yardage, you know, possessions. It, first of all, yeah. do I have that right? And second of all, has that surprised you at all? Um, yeah, you do have that right. I surprise, probably not. I think a lot of people's expectations with how highly Ott was ranked. And then also he was a spring at uh, spring admit. So we saw him in spring ball. Mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, it's kind of, uh, we haven't had that type of running back in a while where every time he touches the ball, your butt kind of lifts off the seat a little bit just to see if he could do something electric with it, especially after the Arizona game. So yeah, I think the, the depth chart has played out as I expected it to. Um, I think Chris Street's injury might have thrown a little bit of a wrench into the, the game planning of the season just because how they were planning to use Chris Street was the power back. Mm -hmm. And just because he, he was probably the best one during fall camp too where he was the best at getting short yardage situations. Um, but with his injury, uh, Brooks, DeCarlos has, has stepped into that role. I thought DeCarlos was a bit more of an outside um, like speedster guy, which, you know, from his skill set from his high school days. But, yeah, he's uh, filled in that role pretty admirably. And then, you know, with Damien, it's it's a weird one because he probably has the best vision on the on the team and decision-making in terms of which um, holes to hit. But he just hasn't had that extra element that either Brooks brings with his power or um, Jaden brings with just of his elusiveness and top speed. So yeah, it is. That's probably why he's fell down the pecking order a little it's bit. It's remarkable to watch Ott because, like, he's you know, there's this there's this run against Notre Dame that was just perfect for it. But then, like, my video glitched out, so unfortunately, it's not going to be in my article. But like, he's like picking his way through that like five yards between the line of scrimmage and the line to gain, um, where yeah. he's like you know sifting through the trash, just like br some of the best running I've seen out of a freshman back in a long time. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I've also seen a bunch of runs where, like, the 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 lane looks like it's there, but then, you know, the offensive lineman, sadly, is not, you know, controlling his guy, you know, super well. And so the defender, like, leans into the lane, and all he's got to do is get, like, a shoulder on Ott, and it's yeah. like, you know, a train smashing into a brick wall. You know what I mean? Like, it... Yeah, yeah. I think those are the moments where, like, one, it's also you, you've got to go with what the offensive line and their form right now, but also... You, those are some of the negatives that you're going to take with some of like, you know, a true freshman sure. getting his first um, collegiate plays and just knowing that sometimes those holes, like sometimes he just has to know when to go down. Sometimes he tries to gain a few more yards, which he does often. Um, but yeah, the decision-making and the experience is I think what Cal fans are 
okay living with because of what he produces when you know he does those electric yeah. plays just even in those like three four yard situations um and his patience is good too that that clip's definitely mm-hmm. going to be in my article where it's like yeah. he needs to wait for because you definitely see that at a freshman a lot where they're like i gotta go i gotta go i gotta go and like he'll sort of like take that little beat that little uh, little extra half a step and then you know hit the hole to pick up the first down yeah. in some short yard situation it's like i guess what i'm saying is you don't it's not he's not the type of back that you need to pull out in short yard situations. Cause like maybe he's going to get a hundred yards or maybe he's going to get nothing. He's not that kind of back. Like he'll pick up that 40 yards for you because he's a smart patient, you know, back too. And like, boy, is that valuable? Yeah. I, the thing with Ott is weird because like usually with true freshmen, like running backs or like young running backs, that's exactly what, that's exactly right. Like what you're talking about. And you know, they're too quick to maybe bounce it outside the decision making is mm-hmm. a little bit too snappy and they're not as patient versus with Ott. sometimes i'm like man if you had just bounced it outside there you with your speed probably could have gotten away for like another four or five yards before you were touched um like he's he's sometimes too patient mm-hmm. and it's just once again comes down to the decision making um when he has the ball in his hands and is waiting for plays to develop i don't know if we'll i don't know if that'll change this season but you know, if it, if it continues, like hopefully over the next season or two, like we'll see that a little bit more. Uh, tight ends. Yeah. Um. I. I. I guess I've been surprised by this unit. Um. I. F- number one, I was with Bill Musgrave's offense in the past. He's been a lot more eager to run like three or even four tight end sets. Uh, even mm-hmm. when I didn't think he had the tight ends, you know, in order to do that. I still don't think he does. I still don't think anybody in this room is really a great blocker, but sort of my surprise, I think that Musgrave has recognized that. And I'm really just saying 11 and sometimes 12, you know, personnel, and that's pretty much it. And I'm also not really seeing like, I'm, well, let me stop there. Do you agree with that assessment so far? Yeah. I mean, 11 and 12 personnel is definitely what he's relied on the most um, over the last few years. Like there's, out of that room, there's no guy that does everything, right? Mm-hmm. I think Jermaine Terry is the physical freak and probably the best blocker in that room. Elijah Maharo kind of does everything well, but not, none of his things are, like, outstanding. Um, and then Kalecki is probably just our Jimmy Graham type where he can block, but his better attributes are suited to be a an absolute mismatch wherever he is on the field as a receiving target. Yeah, yeah, he's so, like 6'6", six, six, you know, like... yeah. Um, Although I, at at some point I was seeing a club on his hand, is he? Yeah, I think that was early earlier on in the season. I think he's 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 fine okay. now. Um, I, I guess I've sort of been. It, it's been weird how little uh, Terry was targeted because, like, I, I remember when he came in, you know, as like he was like the stud of the recruiting class. He was like, oh, this totally makes sense for his you know for Musgraves' offense. And yet, over the last two years, I think I've seen him catch the ball like three times. Yeah, I mean, last season he he barely played. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they wanted to save his redshirt. This season, they're implementing him a little bit more. But you know, once again, it's some of the. It's just it's it's just frustrating sometimes, like how we use him. Like I think against Washington, right? It was third and ten, and then we threw like a short out to him, and he was like a yard before the line of scrimmage, yeah. and it was a it, it was like fourth and ten. Um, I get why Jack went to him because that was the read he was making, which was the wide receiver at the top and then the tight end underneath it. But at the same time, like you're it's third and 10, like your read shouldn't be 
you know, f- trying to get yards after catch, 10 yards after catch. Um, so, yeah, it's it's fresh, sometimes frustrating how they use him. But it's clear when he catches the ball, it's like th- there's not a lot of guys in the in the conference or whoever else we've played that can stop him just because he's just a physical monster. Um, wide receivers. Uh, yeah. I didn't see Jeremiah Hunter, who's like the, you know, there, there's been two great receivers for Cal this year, J. Michael Sturdivant and Mike and Jeremiah Hunter. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of been everybody else. Um, but I didn't see Hunter uh, last week against uh, Washington. Can you tell me what's going on there? Or, uh, what the yeah, he, he got hurt. He got hurt two weeks ago. Um, I think they were trying to get him to go, but he wasn't able to. He was suited up for the game. Uh, and then Wilcox did say on Saturday that they expect him to to play um, this upcoming Saturday. Which and you I believe him, huh? Will. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been. I guess it's not a surprise because we saw this coming. You know, like when these guys, when this group of wide receivers was was recruited, um, it's definitely been an upgrade over the wide receiver core that Wilcox has had for most of his tenure at Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like Sturdivant. Don't really have any criticisms. I like Hunter. I hope he's you know healthy. Um, you know, everybody else has sort of been getting, you know, some catches, you know, Maven Anderson, uh, a few from Monroe Young. Uh, we've seen Mason Starling uh, sort of hot and cold. Uh, we've seen a little Tommy Christakos. Um, you know, I I, uh, I sort of think like the reason why Sturdivant and Hunter, you know, are sort of dominating the, 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 the target list is that they're the most like well-rounded and least likely to make mistakes. Um, receivers, I, I think I sort of see mistakes out of, you know, Anderson and, and Young and, and Starling Christakos quite a bit. Um, do you think I'm, what do you think about that assessment? Uh, there's a few drops with the guys on that, like the later guys on that list. I think Maven Anderson, from my perspective, is highly underutilized. Mm-hmm. I, I love his skill set. Um, like I tell this to the guys all the time uh, with, between the writers, like he's one of those cases where his dad's actually one of those, you know, like position coaches that work with guys in the offseason. Um, and it's one of those cases where having a dad that does that, like actually has paid off, um, like his, it, the, the fundamentals are there it's, and he works great with his footwork. He has great hands. Um, but yeah, of course the, the game scripts haven't gone the way that we want, where we're going to be able to utilize, uh, Anderson a lot. I expected us to use him a lot against UW last week, especially late in the game when I was expecting us to mm-hmm. go. Uh, you know, a little bit more short passing, which what's which was what UW was giving us, but we didn't. Uh, we kept going to Sturdivant on the outside. Um, but yeah, Sturdivant and, and Hunter are just outstanding guys. Their their athleticism is some of the best we've seen at, at, from a wide receiver over the last few years. Just yeah, and you can start to see why that they were highly touted and why they're producing. Um, Starling is the is the weird one because he was a JUCO guy and. Uh, just the measurables look great mm-hmm. right for him. He's tall, he's got great catch he's got a great catch radius. He got hurt early in the year and didn't play basically until that Colorado game. The Colorado game was his I think his first game. Uh and then, you know, the of course the the catch that he has in the end zone um yeah. that he doesn't come down with and then that turns into a lot of people upset about him not securing the ball on the catch which was a surefire touchdown. Um and then yeah, and then he starts to play again this week, and he looked good up, up until his up until his injury. Um, we'll see if he actually plays this week or not. But yeah, he's one of those guys that doesn't have that consistency yet because he's only played in two games this season, yeah. or maybe three. He might have played. Yeah, uh, I think I saw him a little earlier, but 
Yeah, well, but he got his first start. Sort of, I guess my point is that, like, for a long time, you know, when I was looking at Cal offenses that were kind of eh, uh, I kept coming back to, I don't like this wide receiver core. They're not getting separation. You know, they're, they're, yeah. this is just a subpar wide receiver core, you know, and, and that's really not true now. You know, this is, you know, average or above average, you know, for the Pac 12, which is already better than most Power Five conferences. This is a very, yeah. you know, friendly uh, uh, conference. And, uh, and it's deep, you know, like I, I think they have, you know, b- between wide receivers and tall, you know, pass catching. Uh, uh, tight ends I think you know they run like eight or nine deep uh, and so like you know some some unfortunate injury stuff can happen and it's not like you know with you know for example Arizona I think like each one of those individual wide receivers at Arizona like I would probably take any one of those guys over any one of Cal guys but I would take Cal's wide receiver room if I wanted to go the distance because if any one guy gets hurt out of Arizona's four pass catchers, they're screwed like that, you know, yeah. whereas Cal, you know, that's not true. You know, they can take a normal, you know, set of injuries to guys where they miss a couple games and then somebody else miss a couple games and keep on ticking. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I just like this room, you know, like, do, uh, do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is, this is my, one of my favorite groups just to watch just because the skill sets are so varied. The, the athleticism is like, I wouldn't say it's like all great across the board, but they they all play to their strengths really well. And I think the coach and Burl Toller, who's the wide receiver coach, like does a great job of coaching these guys, at least the the same fundamentals across the board, but knowing that certain guys have better skill sets suited for certain routes or certain plays. Um, and he works through that. I think he's done an absolute stunning job with with this particular new group, considering up until last season, it was basically the same group of guys that we've had for like three years prior, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all of these guys are just, just bumped up the depth chart, maybe two or three spots into starting roles, into the two deep role, and they're producing. Um, and that's, that's all you can say about that group. Yeah, no, producing. it's it. No, it's a, it's a solid group, and, and and like there's not a lot more to say about them. You know, I'm I. Uh, and it's you know i i would say more than anything else that's the talent transformation that's happened you know with cal where you know this isn't the cal team of a couple of years ago and a number one example is the wide receiver core um yep all right the offensive line yep uh i promise that we did not invite you on this podcast to torture you (laughs) um (laughs) do you agree with the assessment this is probably the worst offensive line the pac-12 uh yeah maybe tied with colorado Mm. but yeah probably probably there um i think injuries have played some role like i think um i I was seeing spencer lavelle the asu transfer earlier on um playing right guard but i haven't seen him since i think he might be injured yeah he's running they i think he's week to week okay and um and then i also i i didn't see matthew Sindrick, uh sort of a veteran at this point on cal's offensive line i didn't see him against washington i think he's also out he is out for the year um i think even though like every game they have like tried out different configurations where they're moving guys from like guard to tackle and tackle to center and you know etc that like I, I think those are the only that the, the five guys they were starting against washington plus the two guys that we just mentioned the uh, cindric and lavelle are the only guys that i've seen they've just been moving around so 
Yeah, I mean the the big change came when we played Arizona, where we moved uh, we moved Cindric off of center mm-hmm. to right guard, and then we put Driscoll in at center, and then Vatikani started playing left guard. He's the kiddo, uh, right? Was, like he's a yeah, he's the true freshman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's who's gonna be good, but just yeah. he, he's not he's not there yet. Uh, and then Ben Coleman at left tackle, and then Lavelle at right tackle. But then we had to shift a little bit with Cindric's injury. Um, and some of those guys. So I think it's Rome starting at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Coleman is now at left guard. Driscoll stays at center with Vatikani moving to right guard. And then um, if Session. Lavelle's... Se- well, yeah, Session, Session is who Lavelle, I've been seeing Lavelle. at right tackle for pretty much the yeah. entire season. Yep. Do you think... I mean, he's the one guy who hasn't really been moved. On the other hand, I, I kind of think he's the biggest problem on the line. Um do you think there's a chance we see yet another configuration against Oregon? I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility mm-hmm. um, just because at this point, you know, we brought Steve Greatwood back uh, as an analyst. I don't know how much he's actually helping yeah. with like the, the actual football planning side of things, but if he's giving his input, I'm more than happy to accept his input because he probably had the best lines here uh, when during the Wilcox tenure. Um, it's just his recruiting towards the end of, of that like three year span wasn't that great. And then, you know, the, the first couple of years of Angus like were carryovers from, from Greatwood. Sure. And then the development wasn't quite as similar in terms of trajectory. So yeah, it's, I, if it's because he's in the room now and because of how we performed last week and the week before I, you know, at, the, at this point, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, you've, basically hit rock bottom in terms of offensive line play so uh yeah i mean it's pretty dispiriting i mean against washington um who you know have pretty competent guys coming off the edge i mean it was like practically every play both rome and session were given something up um and just you know poor plumber uh you know I, i i i don't know how much more i can elaborate about this it's just like it's really distressing um and like and this is the worst possible offense to try to run you know with a with an offensive line that's you know blocking at those rates but i mean like yeah just in session in particular just like it's just just blinking bright red i mean i've got like a more than 32 percent error rate and pass protection from from him and like it's a it's bad news um like i you know it means like you know one out of three passing plays your quarterbacks under pressure um and, and that would be if Rome was doing a perfect job and he's not. And it would be if the guards don't get pushed back into Plummer's lap, which they do. Like, I mean, it's really hard to operate this offense, you know, with this offensive line. I, I don't know why I'm belaboring the point, but I mean, it just seems very, very clear to me that this is the the, the big problem. Yep. I I would assess it the exact same way. All right. Um, if, if, if somebody plays who we haven't seen before on the offensive line, who would it be? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, I'd probably say it's either Dylan Yemtegard or um, Jackson Brown. I would say Jackson Brown maybe at right tackle. Hmm, two different freshmen. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not much in that room in terms of like upperclassmen you could probably lean into. Maybe maybe Ryan Lang. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think. Just because Jackson Brown has entered on the 2-deep at right tackle, that might be the name you might be looking at. Just a, like a high three-star, low four-star guy that you saw, or local kid here. Um, 
you know, there was probably another name there that I probably would have said in Trent Ramsey, but he got injured in fall camp yeah. and we're not seeing him for this year. So that's probably, yeah, I would probably put my money on Jackson. Well, Ryan I mean, if we, had to pick we have named all five dudes who were new to the line. Spencer Lavelle, who yeah. transferred from the ASU uh, session, who was an FCS, I think an un- unrated out of high school. Ramsey, you just yep. mentioned Jackson Brown, you just mentioned, and Vatikani is a new starter. Um, yep. It's like, you know, this was, uh, you know, they they lost three guys off the line last year, Will Craig, McCade, Met Tower, and and Deltoso. And, you know, they had guys for sort of experience, you know, that sort of silver lining of the, uh, that 2020 season was that guys like Everett Johnson and Colin Hamilton, you know, and, and uh, Colin Maroney, you know, got some experience. Um, And we saw him in the spring game. And then I've been really, I guess I've been very surprised, you know, that, that they've been going to such young guys. Um, And, you know, I I guess I would just really question the the level of development here um, that's going on with Angus McClure. Uh, But uh, who knows, you know, the solution to it is because they got to get more talent in and like Angus McClure does have that record is recruiting pretty well at UCLA. So like, I don't know, man, like, I don't know what a good solution to this is. Yeah, I don't know either. I think at, at this point, though, it's it's due for a refresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the two likeliest coaches that are probably out the door after this season is probably Musgrave and Angus. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Mm. Um, so I understand there's been uh, <laughs> quite some debate about whether or not Cal has a good defense or not. Ah, uh, yes. Um, well, I think it's sort of complicated by the like, you got to say something nice about a team. And so if it's not going to be the offense, um, yeah. um, here's th- this might be helpful to you. you might, my two bits trying to solve this mystery is uh, when, when I chart out this defense, basically what I get in um, it, it, it helps if you separate efficiency uh, from explosion and it helps if you separate pass from run. So yeah. the thing that's like the, the, the bright and shiny good spot, for Cal's defense is they their explosive rush defense has been very good. Um, they basically don't let you get more than about four and a half yards of carry. Um, and they're only allowing about 12% of, um, of runs to gain 10 plus yards. So, you know, they really force you to, to hammer, you know, at the, you know, you're, you're not going to break off big runs very often against this defense, um, which is good. Like that's, you know, that, that keeps Cal in a lot of games. Um, Unfortunately, on the the rush defense, they're you know they do give up those five yard runs. So like any team yeah. that has the patience, which like Notre Dame did, for example, to just run like a dozen times, you know, uh, like they can move all the way down the field, you know, doing that way. Most teams in the Pac twelve don't have that patience, and they screw up. Washington definitely did. Like what well, you know that that was the reason why Washington only scored six points in the first half last week was that they didn't have the patience to do that. Um, but like, I don't know. I sort of think they're playing a team that might <laughs> on Saturday. Like they literally had a drive against UCLA in the in the the first drive of the, the second half was twelve straight runs, <laughs> and uh, and I I sort of think that that's what's going to happen um, this Saturday. Let, let's just stop there with the rush defense. Does that match up with what you observe uh, about this team? Yeah, I, you know, I I didn't really think about what you what you said like in terms of uh like separating the the run and and the pass and stuff i think that that basically proves like the the what i thought of the defense so the defense is very much like ben 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 mm-hmm. ben and not break 
Um, if you if you watch our defenses play, like if they give up, let's say five yards on first down, they're probably not going to be aggressive on second and third. Oh yeah, they they definitely tend to like reset, and if they can get like either one or two yards on first down, then that's when they start to turn it up on second and third to kind of force you out. So. That's why the yardage um, and like that type of efficiency, if you look at the advanced stats against our defense, isn't great because we bleed yards. Mm -hmm. But we don't give up touchdowns as often as we give up yards. Um, so, like, yeah, granted, we we give up a little bit more than we used to in the past. But the the offensive like or the defensive mentality is definitely a little bit looser and like of we're not going to attack from the get go. Uh, because we've been burned by that in the past and guys get exhausted. Yeah. So we're going to play it slow and we're going to pick and choose our moments to be aggressive, uh, particularly from a play calling standpoint, I think with Sermon. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah, what you said is probably on point. And then the past defense has been interesting, like especially watching the Washington game, which is like such the perfect microcosm of like how Cal was playing defense where everything was back and they were just inviting Washington to like, okay, take the short stuff, but I don't think you have the patience to march the field. And like, it was totally true. Washington did not have the patience to march the field and they were would you know, they'd be dropping passes and, and calling dumb plays. Um, cause they'd be frustrated. Cause it's like, why is this drive taking 12 plays? I don't like this. Um, and meanwhile, Cal's just playing back in, in cover two or cover three, you know, and, uh, and but here's the thing. Um, well, let me stop there. Is that match up with your observations about how, you know, Cal's defensive preferences? And... Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I think I think uh, you're probably going to ask me. We're going to dive into it a little bit. But like pass rush, like from the front seven mm -hmm. hasn't necessarily been great. With But like at a certain point, the DBs are going to break down. Right. That's just how. It's just that's how, just how football skews. Like if you keep giving time to the quarterback to make throws, then wide receivers are somehow going to get open because they have the advantage yeah. versus the defense having to react to what the offense is doing. So, yeah, there's our D, our DBs in our backfield has been playing great, but the pass rush hasn't been there in, to collapse on some of the coverage sacks that we're giving. Like, you know, those are whistles if you're playing in spring ball, but you play to the whistle when you're playing in a real game. Well, I mean, that's, and so the interesting thing, you know, when I run the numbers about the rush versus the pass defense is like they're mirror images of each other where the pass efficiency is much better than the rush efficient efficiency. And mm -hmm. I think it's because they just sort of back out everybody and are sort of like, you're not going to throw against this whole mess. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, when, when something breaks against Cal's past defense, it really breaks, you know, like, yeah. so, so like they're giving up more than 22% of um of passes get 15 plus yards because if you can find that soft spot in cal's zone which it, they definitely have one um or if there's a breakdown in man coverage which we'll talk about the dbs Happens. you know yeah. yeah you can get big yardage in the passing game um it's just it's unlikely that you're going to get efficiency passing so it's like you know i think that's what creates in my opinion that's what sort of creates the confusion about the the does cal have a good defense question is like mm -hmm. well they're good at one thing in one aspect and another thing in another aspect but they're mirror images of each other and so depending on what your offense's strengths and weaknesses are they could match up really well against you or they could match up really poorly against you and so that's why you get like sort of these herky-jerky or week-to-week -week, like differences in performance that sort of comes down to 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 that is, is my theory and so there's there's not like there's not like a good answer to the question of does cal have a good defense there has it's a like well it it depends you know yeah. which nobody likes to hear yeah yeah i think i think that's absolutely the right um 
take on on this defense and that there's that, that that's the nuance that's required to look at this like it's really not white or black yeah, nuance um, this it's... is football man like you can't put a nuance <laughs> in a tweet yeah so that's that's the that's the takes like andy and i i think we're, we're on the same boat where we think that this defense hasn't been it hasn't been bad like it hasn't it maybe it's not elite like defenses in the past um considering there's a lot of question marks right like you know the defensive line mm-hmm. depth the the rotation at inside linebacker the the production out of our out, outside linebackers the breakdown sometimes in man coverage from our dbs like there's questions uh but there's still more answers than questions on this defense which is what you would expect with justin wilcox as the head coach right it, it yeah it's never going to be that defense is going to implode on itself and and just be the worst part of the team. It's always going to be the better part of the team. Well, Rob, you literally just listed every question that I have about each of the position <laughs> units on defense. So let's go through them. Um, the uh, so first, let's separate like the def- they. I think due to some injuries, they have not been able to play the three down front very often. Um, they really only reserve it for when you're in a real heavy run formation. And even then they were only sort of doing that against Notre Dame. Um, other teams yeah. can get into 12 personnel and Cal will still stick with their two, four, five. Um, Cause they sort of just perceive yeah. one of those tight ends as receiving threat anyway. Like only Notre Dame was like, no, no, we're, we put in multiple tight ends cause we're going to run cause our quarterback can't pass. There's a famous video <laughs> of it. Um, uh but like boy these defensive line injuries look like this is really unfortunate can you walk us through um what's gone on here with the interior defensive line yeah so we so we start off with everyone healthy right yeah. <laughs> that that was the start i was um, actually pretty perky about cal's defense in the offseason because it was like they're finally healthy in the defensive line they can finally play yeah. the three down front yeah yeah we finally could play in our base and that's what we saw all throughout fall camp mm-hmm. right and that's what that's what got me excited about this defense and i was talking to yogi roth when he visited uh campus during fall camp and we were talking about this defense and he's like i think there, i think a lot of people are sleeping on this front seven i was like yeah honestly like if this front seven plays up to par like they might be a top three unit like as a front seven um in the conference um but that was before all the injuries started to to, to mount up. so like it looked like in um, fall camp brett johnson who i think is the best of all of them um yeah he's he's missing the season again unfortunately he yeah uh, he got injured the week of the first game of yeah, the season crazy. um yeah and then so we so yeah so there's a, a few guys we lost. So we lost Stanley McKenzie for the year before fall camp. He's just taking um, – he just needs some personal time away from football, which is what they gave him. Um, they expect him back in, in the spring. And he was really the big guy. Um, like he was he, – he, he, yeah. he could be a big nickel – or excuse me, a big nose for you. Um, yeah, he would. He probably would run the two deep with him and Ricky Correa mm-hmm. as as the two um, guys that run inside. So, so we lost him. Then we lost Brett Johnson the week of the game. Mm-hmm. Or of the first game, uh, then we lost Derek Wilkins, um, half like a few weeks into the season, and then we lost Achille Calhoun, um, just a few weeks ago. So that's four guys that we expected to be on the two deep going into week one of the season that halfway through the season are not playing this season. Uh, yeah, it really stinks. Um, I'm still seeing uh, Correa when they go to a three down, although, like I said, I'm not seeing yep. that very much. Um, yep. But I've pretty much just been seeing uh, 75 Roberts, uh, 99 yep. Saunders, and 98 Burrell. 
I feel like those are the only guys I've been seeing on the defensive line the last couple of weeks. Or did I miss somebody? No, I think you're. I think you're right. I think you know with with who we're playing and what we're doing. Sometimes we might just put two outside linebackers like on the line, yeah. so that switches out. You know, instead of playing three D linemen, you play just two, or just play the nose, and you just play a line uh, linebackers. Yeah, across they the board. I, I have like, noticed that configuration a couple of times. Yeah, there was one. Uh, There's one play. I believe it was the Ryan Puskis sack uh, against Arizona. If you rewatch that play, we don't have a single defensive mm-hmm. lineman in, all linebackers um and dbs which was like super unique to see which i was kind of excited like oh we have that type of package um but who knows why they ran it but it worked it's just bodies man it might have been um outside linebackers um so this has been uh interesting because this is the unit that grades out best on my tally sheet um in terms of like do your job you know like that my tally sheet is very basic it's did you do your job um yeah but it's not it's not a uh, actual like production, right? Well, like, yeah, you know, right. Are you it's, counting it's, like sacks? Yeah, because that's the nice thing about charting is like I'm watching the game and I just like every all 22 human beings who are on the field, I mark down, did you do your job or not? And yeah. like of ev- everybody on Cal's defense, the outside linebacker unit grades out the best in terms of like not failing to do their job. I guess I'll put it that way. On the other yeah. hand, yeah, you're you're right. Like, it, you know, they, they will effectively uh, boy, this is like reminds me of watching Oregon's, you know, defense uh, in a lot of ways where it's like I'm watching guys effectively do their job, but they're not like then doing the next step and like getting the sack, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I realize that must be frustrating. You know, it certainly is to Oregon fans when they're seeing it out of their team. But like I overall think this is a pretty reliable unit. Like I don't see big problems in, for example, failing to contain the edge, you know, or like set the edge and, you know, and run contain. Um, Like I don't see like, Oh, that guy's totally out of position. And so somebody hits a big run, you know, or anything like stupid like that. Like they do their jobs. They're just not, you know, like saving the defense with heroic sacks, I guess is how I'd phrase it. Do you think I'm, so I'm talking about uh, Carlton 44, um, yep. Patu 49, Jernigan 33, and uh, Croto number 52. And then I want to ask you about um, Oladejo. It seems like he's switching back and forth between ILB and OLB. I don't really understand. But like those, let me just, yeah. those four guys real quick, Carlton, Patu, Jernigan, and uh, Croto. Do you share that assessment? They're like, they're doing their job? Yeah, I think, you know, when you watch games, you're like, are they setting the edge? Like, how, I'm assuming this is how you kind of grade them too, and how I watch them. Like, are they setting the edge, which is what they're supposed to do and run? Absolutely. Are they engaging with the O line and maybe moving the shape of the pocket around? Sure, they are. But are they doing that next thing of beating that guy and getting to the quarterback, or maybe getting that tackle for loss on a consistent basis um, throughout the season? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Like there's there's some parts that go along with this too, right? I think a lot of the the Cal fans and guys who watch tape uh, of Cal games, like all our you know, like Christopher H and Peter from our writers who who avidly watch this team, like if we had a guy like Brett Johnson in there, if we had you know maybe a bit more guys that commanded some of the the attention from the offensive line, that probably maybe frees up some of the other mm-hmm. guys, but knowing who we run out there that stand on the line like it's pretty easy to just point out okay just shift to carlton like the other guys aren't going to get that yeah. one-on-one like saunders looked really great in fall camp but i think that was also because he was playing with a guy like brett johnson like standing next to him 
you know, and now often the offensive line has to decide who who they're going to double and how they're going to how they're going to hand this off. So you lose a lot of that. And now you're asking a lot of these guys that to play one on one or two on one against the offensive line and beat them. And I don't think that's where their strengths lie. They're not that type of a dominating type of presence. So, well, it also sort of fits with Wilcox's, I think, ph- philosophy or Sermon slash Wilcox's philosophy in in terms of like if I'm going to give you one instruction, it's don't give up a big play. You know, don't screw yeah. up. Don't try to do some heroic thing that winds up screwing the team for a fifty yard gain. You know, and if that means playing less aggressive and more, you know, you know sound like assignment sound that like yes you know wilcox is gonna 10 times out of 10 tell you to do that um and if they're in a position due to injuries where i can't afford to have you going off on your own like yeah i mean that totally makes sense with the with this crew um whereas like other defensive coordinators in this conference like alex grinch at usc for example would tell you to do the total opposite so i sort of think there's some philosophical element to that as well yeah yep um, I think that I think you're right. Um, it, since I brought him up, can you tell me what the story is with Oladejo? Like, if I see number ten on the field, is he going to be inside <laughs> or outside on Saturday? Your uh, your question about him is uh, like, and being confused is the exact same of how all of us oh, feel I see. because you saw him at inside linebacker in spring ball, and we thought he was going to be the starter at inside. We saw him in the fall; he was the starter at inside, and then. He plays as he plays at inside, and then all of a sudden, I can't remember which week it was. Um, he's listed at outside, and then when we asked Coach Wilcox about it at the one of the pressers, he said it was a future like move, like they had already been planning to move him to outside because that's where they thought his skill set fit best. Um, and then he doesn't play at all at Colorado, which we yeah, asked him weird. about that, and he basically gave us like a non-answer. <laughs> Of like, you know, he can still help us. He can still, he can still help this team. He'll he'll be given his chance. Him and Sermon both said that. And then we saw him play this week again, but listed back at inside linebacker um, next to a bunch of oars. Right? It sounds like, like he it's got Jackson to a Sermon fight at practice at... <laughs> or something I, I, like that. No like one he's knows. in the doghouse. Yeah, but then he played last week, hmm. and so like I don't know what the situation here is. Like a lot of it for me doesn't make sense right because if if you're if you had already made the assessment like this is this is the plot hole for me if you had already made the assessment that he was going to move to outside at a certain point then why give him all of those snaps on the inside when you could have developed some other guy to sit next to sermon um at inside and then moving him back doesn't necessarily help you if you thought that he was going to be more helpful for you outside and so like there's it's just the rotation's just been totally a mess. Like if you look at the depth chart for the Oregon game, like one inside linebacker says Jackson Sermon, and then the backup is Nate Rachina, and then the other side is just Rachina all year. Yeah, uh, he's no he played earlier in the year, yeah. uh, but he hasn't played significant. I don't think he's he's taking the snaps away from Jackson Sermon. And then yeah, and then you look at the other inside linebacker spot, and it says Mo Isfa or Femiola Dejo or Blake Gonzalados or. Ryan Puskas. And so, like, I don't know who's going to be playing <laughs> that other inside linebacker spot. Boy, I barely have any. I, I The the only two guys I have enough meaningful snaps to evaluate are ESF and Sermon um, at inside yeah. linebacker. It's sort of, sort of this doesn't make any sense to me to play footsie with whether Oladejo should be inside or outside. They've got four competent outside 
linebackers. They don't have four competent inside linebackers, uh, arguably don't even have two. Um, like, you know, Sermon's been playing better than when he was at Washington, although that's a low bar to clear. Um, and, uh, but like, boy, you know, I remember back in 2020 when you and I were talking about Moe Yosefa is like, this guy's the truth. This guy's a revelation. He's the future. Yeah. And I'm watching him this year. And it's like, this looks like pretty substantial regression. Um, do you think I'm off base? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I, he also missed like the first couple of weeks of, of camp mm. and, you know, coach alluded to it and he was we asked him why he wasn't playing and or why he wasn't here and he was like you can ask mo about that my uh -huh. reading the tea leaves of that situation is probably academics mm -hmm. um that's usually because coach really doesn't throw guys under the bus or like throw the question back to the players he protects them all the way but i think when it comes to academics he's like that's something that you have to take care of so yeah so he missed like the first two weeks of camp and then he came in and then he, he started playing and was ramping back up didn't see him play like the entire first like few weeks of the season. Then all of a sudden he's being thrust in there, asked to play a bunch of snaps and, you know, drew the ire of all Cal fans when he stopped on a play that led to a touchdown against Washington. Yeah, that was crazy. I don't know why he stopped. Maybe he thought he heard a whistle. Maybe he thought the play was dead or went in. Opposite well, but even when he but... recovers, it was a lousy tackle effort at the sideline. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, I, I'm sure that that was probably the first thing on the tape that they showed. Well, it's, game. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, like Sermon has those, has a couple, like he's got some interceptions and a couple other breakups, like especially against Colorado. Um, but you know, otherwise I, I haven't really been wild about the, anybody in the inside linebacker core in terms of like, there's a whole, in the middle of Cal zone defense got yeah. to try to avoid saying Cal zone <laughs> but uh <laughs> maybe it is a Cal zone maybe it's just it's just a pocket of space but I mean that's the problem is that I don't really think any of these inside linebackers are athletic enough to simultaneously to like recognize that it's not a run and back out fast enough to play underneath coverage and so like Arizona picked them apart Washington you yeah. know in the second half that's why you know Washington started scoring was like you know throws right to that hole and and I really it's it's kind of less about the DBs for me although I do have a couple of issues with the, the DBs but more just like I I don't find this inside linebacker quarter to be particularly deep or particularly athletic and I think that that's like that's where the defensive you know yeah, more than the I, defensive line, more uh, in my opinion, even though the, that injury situation is really tough, I actually point more to the inside linebackers. Is I think sort of why the like the past defense has been a little hinky. Um, do you think I'm I'm wrong about that, or what do you think? I mean, the it, the inside linebackers definitely in this style of defense are asked to do the most right. Yeah. They're asked to blitz. They're asked to run block or uh, uh, pick up in the run. They're asked to play cover. They're asked to spy. They're they're asked to do the most. Um, and I think like. You know, my personal thought on this is like sometimes they try to overthink the situation and maybe do a little bit more of like yeah. a galaxy brain move of like we can't play certain guys, even though that's their skill set, because that'll give away what we're looking to do on defense. Because um, like, you know, I think a guy like Ruchina is probably our best cover inside linebacker. He, he's got the speed, the athleticism, you know, his first play, his, his first snap as a collegiate player was an interception. Yeah, I remember that. Dropping was, back into coverage. Real fun. So, yeah. So I think. So like, I don't get why we don't play him when we're in pass coverage in zone and we need a guy to be able to cover a vast area yeah. of space over the middle because he, he's able to do that as a former wide receiver and uh, DB. And so that's the that's the mind-boggling part about all this is that they we give this defensive staff so much credit, but we still have the defensive staff still hasn't figured out who our best combination at inside linebacker is or like who does it the, the most. 
or does it does anything like well yeah um is is really tough and i i'd actually want to see maybe some experimenting of maybe taking you know jackson sermon off even though he's been our leading tackler and probably the most steady guy at inside linebacker like pull him out and put someone else in and see what other combinations can that you can draw up um because clearly it's working but not not enough to be able to be sustainable as a as the middle of this defense well i sort of think that there's you know a second ago i said oh it's not the defensive line but actually on second thought i actually think it's probably a situation where the injuries that defensive line have really reduced what their options are um in terms of like the complexity and, and potential like blitz yeah, and so forth be. and and the people who wind up looking bad because of that are the inside linebackers because like that's they're the ones who are being asked to pick up all that slack. Um, like, well, if you guys just play at a, a 150%, then it won't matter that we have these problems, but like, you can't ask that of these, you know, there, it's just like the, the, you know, and so like, I sort of think maybe that this, you know, the, the injuries, the defensive line sort of making them look maybe a little worse than really they are. Um, but, you know, but, you know, regardless of how it's happened, like that's, you know, that's where I would attack, you know, frankly, if I, you know, I would run up the middle at these guys and I would, um, and I would throw, you know, over the top of these guys, like that's how I would game plan it. Um, Cause I certainly don't want to attack these DBs if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I like 32 Scott. I like Woody, uh, number two. Yep. Um, I think I'm done um, praising the defensive backs, though. I, I kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm not real wild about this this crew of cornerbacks. Um, do you think I'm nuts? A little bit. Um, I, I really like this group. They're young. Uh, you know, they do make mistakes, and so this is the DB group is one of the the questions I have, and I'm gonna have to do a deeper dive on this like at, after the season's over, but. I think it they're it's in tandem, right? The play calling and the disguising, especially from the DB group, has been one of the big like stalwarts of Wilcox's defenses over the last five years. But clearly this year, it's it's very generic. It feels very vanilla, um, and they're backing guys off a lot because once again, I don't think they they just don't want to give up that explosive play uh, over the top. So the guys aren't pressing as much. Um, they're, they're backed off like, you know, three, four yards before, you know, being, and being able to run forward instead of run backwards. But the size difference is definitely noticeable. Like Earby, who's a true freshman mm -hmm. is what six, two, I think. Um, and you know, lose on the smaller end, but he's definitely the, the most instinctual corner that we have. He grades out the best for me. Yeah. Isaiah young, um, makes some mistakes, but is, probably one of the best tacklers out of that group and then there's a bunch of young guys underneath that just haven't gotten the time to i mean the safeties are definitely the best group sure. out of the dbs just because scott is outstanding and should be playing on sundays yeah, i agree i think um, he's gonna get drafted yeah uh woodson is one of those guys where like he started off the season he changed strong. his number right he's number two now right no uh woodson yeah oh yeah woodson is number yeah, two okay. yeah woody is number five um, so yeah, Woodson, Woodson is definitely, um, he's really good. He's Woodson is the guy that all the, the pre, the prior guys, the takers noted as like the guy who would step up to be that next dude up. Yeah. Um, he grades up pretty like well. Jalen Hawkins too, yeah. and Ash Davis, like they all said at their like, um, combine stuff. They're like, it, he's the next guy up and he's basically played like it. He, he hurt himself last fall after having a great fall camp, didn't play last season. And then this season has 
you know, started off with his first interception being a pick six, you mm-hmm. know, in the first game of the season. So he's definitely picked it up as well. So there's definitely growing pains happening. Um, I think the one name that people didn't really like was Colin Gamble last year at corner, but I think his move to nickel has actually rejuvenated his play. He's looked really good playing at nickel compared to at corner. And that might, I mean, I, he's definitely solidified that role for him in this defense. Um, I guess I was surprised, but not that surprised that the true freshman Irby was playing um, as much as he has been. Cause I, boy, I, I just really don't like um, number 41 young or number 11 McWilliams very much. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I sort of, you know, I got it when I was seeing a true freshman on the field. Do you think I'm wrong about that? Yeah. I mean, there just hasn't, those guys just haven't developed ex- as as we expected and then Irby just he made flashes during fall camp mm-hmm. i just didn't think he was gonna start to play this well this fast um to to push some of these guys for snaps because you know if lose healthy and he's starting on one side you could make the argument that it could be young or it could be Irby. and you know at, at at the start of the season it was probably yeah it's definitely young's role but now it's become you could play either or um or maybe give it to the younger guy in Irby and see how how much that experience helps him. So well, yeah, I'm not surprised. What's at all. the deal with Lumajo Hearns? Is he healthy or what's he'll be healthy for the Oregon game. Uh, it's the same situation with uh, Hunter. He got nicked up uh, at, at Colorado um, kind of needed to be helped off towards the end of the game. And then he didn't play last week, but once again, coaches said that they will both be ready to go. And you believe him, huh? Yeah. I mean, for those types of injuries, he, he definitely doesn't play it. Uh, like he's just the starters. I think he never says that the starters aren't going to play. Um, it's usually the the backup guys or some of the other guys that we don't really know. That is right. Rob once again joined us for a Cal roster breakdown, and he survived till the end. <laughs> so we just wanted to congratulate you there, Rob. <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back as we speak. Well, you know, you're not a bandwagoner. That's for damn sure. Like, I love teams like that. As we were saying beforehand, I tried getting into the Mariners, you know, because I, I figured, well, they're if they're going to get into the playoffs now, I'm going to try to do it so I won't be accused as a bandwagoner. And it was hard. Even when they made the playoffs, it was hard for me to root for them. So uh, I, just, I just want you to know I, I really applaud that every damn day you're still rooting for these Cal Golden Bears. Oh, I appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> and once again, so you got to check out uh, Rob's site because, I mean, it, it's it's the best there is. Uh, we've been going to the site for years now, right for Cal. Uh, and you also listen to this podcast, Golden Bear Cast. I mean, uh, you know, next week they're either going to have a, a thrilling upset victory they're talking about or they're going to be talking about how good these ducks looked. So it's going to be a great episode duck fans yeah um, if, if we're merely a <laughs> stepping stone for you guys to get to the playoffs but it stops ucla or se from getting to the playoffs i'm happy go. to make that sacrifice there we go that's a great way to look at it like we just can't have a big 10 team winning the pac 12 it's it's right. just ridiculous yeah i mean option number one for me is always cal winning but if if there's a if there's a number two that's the option i'll take Oh, that's not. Is the other Cal teams losing? <laughs> yeah. That is great. That's what you want. And uh, Hithleday, thanks for joining us as always from Addicted to Quack at Addicted to Quack on Twitter at Hithleday one H Y T H L O D A Y the number one. 
Uh, one day this Cal team will be better, eh? Uh, yeah, I'm praying for it every day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, in the end, we just got to beat those L.A. schools. That's all that matters. It'll mean so much when and if Cal does beat them. Because, I mean, oh, what a slap in the face that will be for them. It's great. I mean, this, it's oh happened God. before. This game you know, gives really some trap game vibes. Like, yeah. I mean, the the defense definitely has the potential to, you know, if anybody does, to slow Oregon's offense down or to create some turnovers. Um, like, it's sort of an overlooked game after a big emotional, you know, game day type of thing. It's on the road. You know, oh, yeah, man. Like, this one's going to make you sweat, you know, a lot more than, than the numbers, you know, would indicate. Yeah, I mean, Wilcox is like narrative, right? Is always to beat a team that no one expected him to beat mm. every year. Like my yeah. whole my whole thing before like this stretch of games for us was like we're gonna beat one of UW, Oregon, SC, like yeah. LA. Like we're gonna we're, it's it's bound to happen. Like we might still finish the season like four and four and eight, but we'll beat one of them. Like <laughs> Oregon fans, I might be scared like that we didn't yeah. beat UW last week. If we had beaten UW last week, I'm cementing this as an Oregon win. <laughs> right but the fact that we we lost to them like just means that it was just pushed to this week Wilcox always defies week. the odds whether always. it's beating a team he shouldn't or losing to a team that everyone thinks will not win a single game Absolutely. he will find a way to do it and i love it right we we play up to the level of teams better than us but we also play down to the level of teams that are below us because you know it's exciting football it and is. that's what cal is exciting <laughs> football <laughs> all right we've clearly gone on for too long uh thanks again rob so much for hopping on again i appreciate it guys Always. all right go ducks and go golden bears Ooh.